Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Good evening, everybody. I'm Twain, and I am an alcoholic. And for those of you who will listen to this on CD, there's about uh, 1,500 people here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I live here in San Diego. I'm from uh, Louisiana. Lived there uh, most of my life. And there, there's a laid-back, laissez-faire, slow-as-molasses mal- slow uh, lifestyle. Uh, and with that comes fewer restraints. And in the sweltering uh, heat and humidity and sweat, uh, beer and gin taste really good. <laughs> yeah. And um, my parents, great parents, I love them dearly. My, my dear mother passed away 12 years ago. I had a great relationship with her, thanks to AA. My father, he's 92, still alive in Shreveport, and I go back to see him frequently. I have a great relationship with him, thanks to AA. And they did the very best job they could uh, as parents for where they were at. Um, But my earliest memories from um, childhood were that um, there was very little affection, very little communication, very little contact, actually, um, you know, in my childhood years. And I remember um, when I was, my earliest memories, I felt alone. I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like I was different. And um, I had a lot of fear. The... You know, I, in growing up, um, you know, my mother was a lady of uh, Shreveport Society, a really good woman. But in that time, um, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of mothers like her spent very little time, you know, with, with the kids. That was left for the help. And I, I really didn't, there was, there was, I don't remember any affection or, or contact or communication with her in those early years. And um, my father was a hardworking lawyer, and um, we didn't see much of him either. When he, when he came home from work, um, after working a hard day, she would take him by the hand, and, and they would go uh, trotting out to go, you know, to, to go to parties. And I remember we had uh, this lovely lady named Yolanda, Yolanda is the way we said it, was a really sweet mulatto woman from Menachitish, <clears throat> you know, along Cane River. Really good woman. Um, but at night, and she would babysit us. Um, at night, uh, she would uh, talk about uh, voodoo with us. <laughs> and um, and uh, to put me to bed, she would talk to me about the boogeyman. And so I would stay up with the lights on, you know, try not to go to sleep because she told me the boogeyman... <laughs> will come and get you when you fall asleep. So that um, uh, might have had some effect on me. (laughs) 
And the teachers at school would uh, contact my parents and bring to their attention that, uh, that at school I was sullen and I was always by myself. And they were really worried about me. Um, and I remember my uh, father, uh, I overheard my father saying, you know, what's, what's wrong with that boy? And I don't know if I was uh, born an alcoholic. Um, I think I probably was, but I don't know that for sure. But I do know that I thought that I was born um, weird. And um, <laughs> I, you know, from, you know, but things got a whole lot better for me. My life turned around. At age 13, a neighborhood kid uh, got hold of some Bacardi rum and some lemon lime ices. And that went down real warm, tasted great. And I was super boy. I belonged. That changed my life for the better. King alcohol was good to me for a long, long, long time. And another good thing about uh, that uh, King alcohol was around drinking, um, I started getting loving acts of uh, tenderness uh, from my mom and also from my dad. And I remember like at uh, uh, um, coming home, um, <clears throat> no, excuse me, I, for instance, well, let me backtrack for a second. You know, we, I started drinking at 13, and then um, immediately we were able to get our liquor at the liquor to go. And we, um, at 15, we were driving age, and we had our fake IDs, and we could go to bars and drink freely without, without, without constraint. And um, I remember uh, coming home um, from, uh, from the bar, you could stop off at the daiquiri to go. And, uh, you know, back then in, in Louisiana, they didn't even require you to put that little bitty piece of paper on the tip of the straw, you know, taped on the, on the tip of the straw. They didn't even require that back then. So it's, it's, a, different, it's a different life there. And, um, but a loving act of kindness was that, like, I would, I would, you know, drink and drink and drink and, and uh, stay out to uh, the, you know, the, you know, the very wee hours. And I'd come home, and uh, there'd be a waiting for me on the kitchen table, a, a little paper napkin and, and two aspirin and a glass of water. And, uh, and that was so sweet of my mom. I just, you know, <laughs> I really, I was really touched by it. And then in the morning, um, um, I remember one time having a really, really bad, bad uh, night. And I was really bad hangover. And my dad referred to it as uh, that I looked like the hare who bit the dog. <laughs> and uh, one, one, one of those mornings, my mom um, actually uh, uh, made me uh, a Bloody Mary. And she would say, uh, well, Bubby, how do you feel? You know? And it was very loving. I was very touched. Uh, I, was, I was very touched by that. You know? And um, the... Um, Anyway, in high school, we, we drank all the time. We drank everywhere. We had, we had dances, uh, Saturday night dances that we went to. There, yeah, there would be a chaperone, but the chaperone wasn't paying any mind, you know. We, we just drank, and we, the, the, they would last till 1 a.m. in the morning, and I'd get drunker than Cooter Brown. And, 
and um, I uh, started not remembering, uh, you know, about Holmes. The Black House had already begun. The Black House had already already begun. <clears throat> so, um, um, you know, it came time for college, and uh, no brainer. LSU Baton Rouge voted by Playboy magazine the greatest party school in the nation. <laughs> you know. And it was a blast. LSU Baton Rouge. The uh, keg parties, happy hours every night except for Sunday. And Friday night happy hour, fr Friday happy hours actually started at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. 25 cent uh, bourbon and cokes uh, served at the brass rail. You know, it was hard, and I was studious. I was academic. I wanted to study and make good grades. It was very difficult, challenging to find the time slot, you know, to do any studying. <laughs> you, know, you know, and uh, New Orleans, one hour away. Uh, so, and I remember the LSU football games. We would start drink. We would start uh, tipping uh, in the early morning, and by uh, by. Kickoff at 8 p.m. Most of us would be passed out. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was rampant, and so uh, went on to law school. And in the law school, in law school, the uh, the blackouts became more frequent. More often, I was waiting, waking up in a stranger's bed, not knowing where my car was, and I remember. One thing that really stands out there during those early years, uh, um, uh, then, then I, uh, you know, returned to Shreveport to practice my profession. And finally, my luck ran out with the uh, DUIs. I finally was actually arrested for DUI instead of being let go. And I was actually taken down to the Paris jail um, by an inexperienced officer. And... <laughs> The, uh, and I was put in a jail cell there in the Paris jail, the same uh, jail where I frequented during the day representing those criminals. And there I was. There I was. I felt uncomfortable. But a really loving act of kindness uh, from my father came about from that. I was bailed out by, by my dad. He came down there in his raincoat and got me out. And on the ride home, he was, uh, he was very consoling to his son Bubba. And he said, well, how in the hell do they expect us to, to uh, go out drinking and return home if, if, we, if, if we can't drink and drive? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the BAC level... Point two, you can't get drunk at, 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 I mean, the BAC level, point one, you can't get drunk at point one. Hell, they need to raise it to point two. And, I'm, I'm, and he goes, I'm sorry, Bubba, this happened to you. It shouldn't have happened. Yeah. He was a very good lawyer, and the next day he started preparing my defense. <clears throat> he got hold of the uh, police reports. Of course, the police reports said the usual jargon <clears throat> that... Um, that I was weaving and that I wasn't making sense. And he, his response to that was, well, hell, boy, you always drive like that. You always act like that. <laughs> yeah. 
So he, uh, his strategy was to uh, call several witnesses to testify under oath that that was true. You know? You know. <clears throat> but anyway, this is one of the very best memories I have of my dad. You know? uh, he was very loving, and he put his heart and soul into it. The charge was uh, dismissed. He was a very skilled lawyer. And, you know, but that was real, real dear to me, real dear to me. Um, you know, uh, my years as a lawyer, you know, I'm not going to go, go through it step by step. I drank and I, and I, I smoked dope and I snorted and, and the black house just got more and more often. At age 32, I uh, landed a good job here in San Diego. And I was very excited about that. I was finally getting my butt out of northwest Louisiana, where I, you know, I felt, I felt constrained there. I felt confined. I had never been anywhere but Louisiana, so I was really looking forward to getting out of there. But not before I, I was on the receiving end of some, you know, some shame from my dad. And he, I remember I went into his office to tell him, and um, he was very serious. And he, he looked at me and said, Boy, are you going out west too like your sister Joe? Have you gone gay too? <laughs> you know? Anyway, I, I was able to pull from my, uh, my uh, sugar dad's uh, strings and came out here to San Diego. And the first few months, I was ecstatic. I was painting the town. But then it started to fade on me. Um, uh, first of all, first was the weather. You know, there's no weather out here. You know? And I know I should, I knew, should have known that or did know that before I came out, came out here, but it, but it nevertheless it started affecting me. But another thing was, was, uh, the rules, the regulations and the standards out here. I remember my first, uh, venture out of my apartment to go jogging. I put on my tennies. And I was uh, starting to jog down the alleyway, and some onlooker stopped me and said I wasn't wearing the right pair of running shoes. And and then he went on to tell me that I wasn't using the proper running technique. So, <clears throat> you know, you know. And then, so then I, I returned to my apartment with my my tail wagging between my legs, and then. I remember another occasion I, I, uh, I decided to make my first outing out to the beach. Well, I'd go out to the beach and there'd be this uh, tall uh, sign of uh, commandments, you know, that I had never seen before uh, at any beach, you know, in, uh, anywhere in the Deep South. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. I was just, was just overwhelmed by it. And... Um, and it was, um, and then, you know, this talk about you can have an, you can't have an open container. Well, what the hell does that mean? Um, that means it's okay to have a closed container. And then, but then if, why would anybody bring a closed container out there to the beach? Uh, and then I, I was actually talking this over with somebody this morning. We were researching on the internet. I guess if there's a closed container, you can possibly put a, a little hole in there and suck suck the booze out. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but but it, it didn't make any sense to me. 
Um, and then another day, another day, I, I, I ventured out past the wave swimming, and then I overheard uh, on the on the uh, loud on a loudspeaker uh, a commandment, which I found out was from a lifeguard, uh, uh, ordering me to uh, come back to the shore now. You know, I came back to the shore, and I never figured out why. You know, you know. You know, and then going to uh, J- Jack Murphy Baseball Stadium, the security guards. In Louisiana, I had never seen a security guard other than at the bank. <laughs> you know, I mean, and then, but at Jack Murphy Stadium, there'd be like, in the number of security guards dressed in those uniforms uh, all lined up. Uh, I don't know how many there were. It seemed like there were about a hundred of them. And it felt like the Gestapo. Yeah. Um, and then at work, the, uh, I remember the first, my first week at work, I was uh, walking towards the courthouse and across the street, um, and a police officer stopped me. And and I asked him, and he told me that I was jaywalking. Well, anyway, I started laughing because I I told him that the only time I'd ever heard of anybody being stopped for jaywalking was by Barney Fife on the Andrew Griffith Show. You know, and he wrote me up a citation, and. And then, uh, you know, actually being in the courtroom, I was doing a jury trial in, in the courtroom, and there was Judge Finley. Apparently, she didn't take too kindly to uh, people from the South, because she actually put on the record and ordered that I not use the word y'all. <laughs> yeah. It took me off my game. I didn't know how to do it. How do you, how do you question witnesses without saying y'all? Like, you people? Uh, you, you guys? It just doesn't sound right. Does it, it sounds impersonal. So, so I was having difficulty being here in San Diego. And another thing was, you know, um, I didn't know um, in the morning whether I should put on my new suit that I bought here in San Diego or whether I should put on my seersucker. Because, um, you know, it just depended on, you know, some of the, some of the people at the office took kindly to uh, people from the South, and they wanted me to be a Southern, you know, a, you know, a Southern cracker. But... It, <laughs> But uh, but others didn't, you know. So I had a real problem with um, identity, you know. I didn't know whether to be a, somebody from San Diego. I didn't know whether to be a Southern Cracker. And if I was going to be a Southern Cracker, should I talk? Uh, should I be real witty and literate, you know, like uh, like Mark Twain? Uh, some of them kind of were expecting that out of me. Um, <laughs> So I was I was uh, out of place. I had no identity, and I was uh, you know I was in a tizzy. And I remember one time at a staff meeting, uh, 
um, I was like chewing on my ink pen and ink got all over my lapel, you know. So, you know, it was challenging. <clears throat> so, but the thing about uh, what was my identity is something I actually had grappled with since I was, since I was a little boy. Um, so I started drinking and, you know, tooting and snorting more, more and more. And the more I did it, the gloomier I got, the lonelier I got, and the stupider I got. King alcohol was no longer my friend, was no longer benefiting me. Um, I remember in the, uh, on a weekend afternoon in my apartment, you know, um, smoking dope and, you know, drinking, uh, drinking scotch. And I did not have the mental capacity to even watch my favorite TV show, The, the Three Stooges. All, all, all I could muster was to uh, listen to, was to smoke my Marlboro Reds, drink my, drink my scotch, sit in my chair and listen to Neil Young. That's all I could do. I, I was really, uh, it was becoming pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. The, um, anyway, the, you know, it, it, it got worse and worse, and um, I ended up, uh, things got so bad that I ended up at the uh, um, Mesa Vista Looney Bin, and I remember <clears throat> uh, there I was, uh, we, were t- we were required to uh, paint little yellow uh, ceramic duckies, <laughs> and... <clears throat> And I have no skills with my hands. I have no handicraft skills. And we were also told to, uh, you know, to make a, you know, moccasin belt out of leather. And I cannot describe to you the anguish I felt trying to do those things. Well, I was there about two weeks. And when I, when I left there, returned to my apartment, I stopped off at the liquor store. And I started, uh, about a uh, it was like about a five day binge, you know. I tried to uh, you know I put up the blankets on the windows and I took my phone off the hook, um, and I tried to stay unconscious all, all through the day, you know, on booze. But as you know, it's impossible to to remain unconscious, and it's impossible to keep uh, sunlight from seeping through when when the sun when the sun comes up. Um, and I remember. Um, um, the moaning doves. You know, I felt horror when I felt the mo- when I heard the moaning doves. Moaning doves. We didn't have moaning doves in Louisiana. There was, and I lived in PB. And um, to this day, I you know I I get uncomfortable in the morning when I hear. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I know it sounds kind of like an owl, but um, I came out of my uh, I came out of that binge, and then my my boozer stoner friend came over, and um, oh, I forgot to say I was I had to take a leave of absence from work, and my boozer stoner friend came over, and he uh, did a one-on-one intervention on me, telling me I needed to go to AA meetings all day long, every day. But I also had something else in mind. I was on a mission to become certified as a bilingual attorney. So I had booked a trip to Mexico to attend one of those academies. 
And then I also wanted to do a extra traveling in addition to that, so I was, you know, wanting to go to Mexico for five months. And I, I, there was a travel, an agent who actually booked the trip and arranged everything. So, but I, but I knew that I was powerless over alcohol. I knew that I needed to be going to AA meetings, but, you know, I wanted to go to Mexico. You know, so I booked the trip, I canceled the trip. I booked the trip, I canceled the trip. Taking a trip, not taking a trip. You know, to this day, that's one of my very favorite sayings in the big book, and I had it as a bumper sticker for a long time. You know. So I arrived in San Miguel de Allende, and all my luggage was stolen. My Spanish sucked. I tried to talk to the Mexican police about about reporting my luggage on it, and they laughed. You know. I went to the nearest uh, Mexican bar I could find and commenced a, uh, a five-day binge. And the, um, but I crawled out of that. I crawled out of that binge, and um, I um, um, was able to, to go to the pharmacy and put together the right. Uh, you know, pharmaceuticals and liquor, and I went on a wild and crazy run. It was my, the last good experience I had with, with King Alcohol. You know, I came back to San Diego, and things got worse and worse. And I Bill Wilson describes those last uh, weeks better than I can describe them. So, <clears throat> the chilling vapor that is loneliness settled down. It thickened, ever becoming blacker. The awful awakening to face the hideous four horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. I'm sitting, I'm sitting at the stagecoach bar, and I remember Guns N' Roses playing on the karaoke, and I found myself, I, I found myself scooting away the beer. I knew I was at the crossroads, either the road to blackness or the road to, you know, through AA. And I knew and I felt a sense of surrender. I felt the presence of God. And I knew I was never, ever going to drink again. That was January 26, 1992. And the, um, from there, the miracle continued. The next night, I went to a, a drumming party, which was attended by some AA people. And I overheard somebody say, Do, do I know you? Um, I've heard that voice before, and um, it turned out uh, he he had he knew my brother John, who had uh, who had been with me uh, at an earlier time here in San Diego, and um, John was the one who first introduced me to AA. John was um, uh, I loved dearly, and John was the first one who would you know t- taken me to some AA meetings, and uh, so. Uh, my sponsor, uh, I mean, the, the, uh, David became my sponsor, and then, the, and then later on that night, we went and had coffee with a with a dear friend of his, Michael, and that was the beginning of the AA fellowship for me. It was, it was like a, uh, the tri- the triangle of uh, myself, David, and Michael, and that was the beginning of the fellowship for me. And when I um, when I uh, set my mind to something, I I, I am serious about it. I I uh, I did the AA steps to the very best of my ability that first year. I did them thoroughly. 
um, but my early sobriety was was rocky, uh, to say the least. Uh, I, I still had feelings of not belonging, and I remember a few months into it, I was at the spring roundup, and um, I, I had I was about to get out of my car door uh, car, and I had one foot out, um, but then I then I put it back in the car, then I put my foot out, then I put it back in the car. I was debating on whether or not I really wanted to go, and I think I was at a turning point. Well, anyway, thank goodness through the grace of God, I I uh, I you know I got out and I walked into the spring roundup and the fellowship there and the spiritual breakfast was a real real turning point for me. Um, the um, Another uh, challenge I had in early sobriety was uh, I was still crazy as a loon. I was very indecisive. Like I remember on Sunday afternoons, uh, you know, when there would be a lull in um, there'd be a, a lull in, in what to do. And like, for instance, no AA meetings or in the afternoon, Sunday afternoon, you don't go to work. You've already gone to church. So I'd be in my apartment going back crazy. Should I go visit Linda? Should I go visit Steve? Should I go to the beach? Should I go to the movie? Should I go to the to the adult bookstore? You know? <laughs> and then so I, I I called David just crazy as could be and he said and he said, just pick one. It doesn't matter. Just pick one. And know that you're gonna change your mind, you know, a, a million times. But it doesn't matter. Just pick one and stick with it. You know, he was he was a great sponsor. He continues to be a great sponsor. There are other um, um, uh, instances of, of uh, challenges which I went through, and uh, uh, but generally, uh, the next uh, 22 years or so was on an upward trajectory. There were some ups and downs, but generally it was on an upward trajectory. I did learn uh, that you should heed Bill Bill Wilson's advice, and. Um, not uh, only pray for knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. Don't make, don't put specifics in your prayer. And I learned that the hard way. I prayed for that I be married and have kids, but in that prayer I didn't include the specifics about not not going through a you know a seventy thousand dollar divorce custody battle. You know, <laughs> so I still I still had some challenges. You know? but um. um I'm really grateful that I was invited to uh, speak here tonight. I want to welcome the newcomers. Um, I I need to uh, tell you that I, um, in addition to being an alcoholic, I also uh, suffer a mental disorder. I suffer from depression, and I've gone uh, many of my adult years have been on uh, on uh, psychotropic meds to help me with it, and. I um, <clears throat> there was a two and a half year period in my recent past where um, things got bad for me again. It was a, it was a, it was a dark period for me, and the um, I don't know whether the, the 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 depression preceded uh preceded or whether uh, my lack of involvement with AA preceded. I don't know, and I don't think it really matters. But I. But uh, the fact of the matter is, um, I, AA also lost its uh, priority for me. And uh, some, some bad things happened in my personal life, and I ended up going through a really dark, dark period that lasted about two and a half years. And this period did not uh, end until this past August. And in August, it started going back up into an upward trajectory. And I'm doing a lot better now. 
the promises are starting to come true again. I'm still not on top of my game. I don't have my edge. I don't have my funny bone. Um, But uh, life is getting better, and the promises are coming true for me again. And um, I pat myself on the back. Um, I never, never drank. And... um, and I, I thank God for God's grace. During that period, uh, during my lowest hour, I prayed. I got on my knees and prayed for the umpteenth time. And God help me. God help me. And um, I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't feel God. I, and, and I was disconnected, but I would just say it over and over again. And gradually things uh, did get better again for me um, through my psychiatrist. And, but also, I just amped up my AA. Went to... Went to uh, um, more meetings, uh, more active in service, more active in sponsorship, um, in, in every way possible. I prayed more. I had more gratitude. I'd really, really worked hard, and I was able to climb out of that. And uh, and I'm doing a lot better now. Um, the um, but what I've learned from that experience is that. Uh, we don't know sometimes what God has in store for us. Maybe my ego needed smashing uh, because out of that came some very positive experiences. The type of work I'm now doing is very fulfilling, and it's a direct result of my having gone through that, uh, that dark experience. And, um, but another uh, um, thing that I've really come to realize is that um, uh, for me, for this alcoholic, I have to put AA first, you know. A, I mean, I mean, um, um, and got to put AA first, and don't drink, no matter what. Even if your butt is on fire, don't drink. And put AA first, put God first, and life will get better. The promises do come true, and I um, just I love AA. AA has saved my life. I love the fellowship of AA, and um, I'm just I'm just eternally grateful. And I want to uh, just end by saying uh, my, my message is simple: don't drink, no matter what. Put AA first, and I and the promises do come true. The promises come true, and um, life does get better. God bless us all. God bless AA. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.